find Mark chapter 10. And we're going to do as, as quickly as we can. Let's read Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse, it's in verse 42. And I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and read that. We'll pray and then we'll, we'll move on. And Jesus called them to Him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Father, I adore you. I thank you so much for the opportunity, Father God, to come and talk about this. And I pray, God, that I make just a couple points I need to, Father, but that I make progress in this, Father, because I want to see great and mighty things, God, happen through this. I, God, I know that I am nothing, and I know that I am weak, Father God, and I know that in, in no way should I be someone, Lord, that people should look up to or should have authority or or say so or that, Father God. But I realize, Lord, that I occupy a position in which you just simply, Lord, in, that's, that's designed for men like that. So pray, Father God, that in a humble way, I pray, Father God, in a way that's fraught with errors, Lord, that I manage to put together things that really are, Father God, life-changing in their pursuit and life-changing in their truth. I pray for that not because I want to, because I don't want to be limited, God, by me. I want to be uh, have no limits for for preaching and teaching, because God, you have no limits. Um, send your Holy Spirit upon me, Father God. No, no matter God how weak or foolish I am, Lord, and bless me, Lord, to have the power to say things that need to be said. Bless us now, Father God, um, to to make our way through this, Lord, and to lift you up as much as possible, Father God. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Now. Back where we were, um, there's, there's a, a statement I've been making for a while. And what I need to do, I guess, is define the kind of the, the main point of this. The main point is this, and that is that God's will for us is a life lived with a kind of commitment to good works that are, that's only possible by His will and His power live through us. That's the only way it works. And the only way we'll ever do that, I'm talking about living in a way that's so focused on other people and so neglectful of ourselves. Now, I don't see anybody in this room, nor do I see anybody in this church that I would say, man, that person just stuck on themselves. I just don't think that. But I don't think it's a, Ms. Pansy, a regular level of self-sacrifice. I don't think it's a level of self-sacrifice that people can get to on their own. I believe, Brother Kyle, this is a level of self-sacrifice that only God can lead us to. Deep down, we're all going to do what's best for us, aren't we? We'll say we're not. We'll say our decision is for everybody. But a lot of people are going to make decisions based on exactly what's best for them all the time. So much so that we can't even say it's best for us. We'll think it's self-sacrifice. I do that, you do that. We naturally, that's what humans do. We're trying to be somewhere greater than that. And that only God can do that. The whole idea of this kind of a reliable faith is at its heart a, a completely 
self-sacrifice faith. It's all about Christ Jesus, all about those around us. Now as we look into Mark chapter 10, just as the verse is going to lead us to, to take those next steps, the thing that occurred to me was something, as I said, I've said this a lot. I noticed it through marriage counseling. I can just say this. I have a very shoddy record when it comes to marriage counseling. Almost all preachers do. Now the reason for that is simple. Preachers almost never find out about it until it's too late. Do you understand what I mean? People walk in literally with divorce papers in their hand and want you to fix their marriage. I'm like, probably should have talked to me five years ago. Don't bring me in at the last possible second. As I said this, what, what I think most people do with me in, in terms of that is not y'all. Not y'all. If I've counseled you, it's not you. A lot of people in this community have come to me and this is what they've done. They want me, they want to come talk to me once so they can go back to their mom and say, we went to Brother Tony, it just didn't work. Do you know what I mean by that, Brother Kyle? They're using me as an excuse. It didn't work, so therefore I can now go do what I want to do. Now, I've been through that a bunch. I don't like being used. And I typically nowadays tell people, if you're just using me, don't, I'm not coming back. We will not do this again if you're just using me. If you want to work through this, I'll, go, I'll, I'll come in, at midnight and talk to you. But now, here's the problem. I don't think it's just people. Now, are we incompatible? Sure. Is marriage always something that God's got to work in supernaturally? Absolutely. People don't like each other. Men don't like women and women don't like men. We like each other in that way, but we should like each other in all the other ways that we need to like each other in order to make marriage work, right? That person you're living with is a giant bundle of irritating habits. Right? It's like they were born to get on your nerves. It's like their mama said, I want to raise a child that will get on her nerves or his nerves. And they don't even know you exist. That is just the way it is. However, if you think it's A, they, they say it's B. That is just the nature of, of marriage, right? So it's always a supernatural thing. I told you that before. Marriage is a miracle of God because He takes two lines and makes one line out of them. It is by nature as supernatural as our new birth is supernatural. It is a work of God if it lasts. If you've been married 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 years, it is a work of God. Guaranteed. I'll be honest with you, you married five years to the same person. It's a work of God. However... Where does it go wrong? Now this is back to the lesson, and I want you to understand, because it's a universal thing. I'll tell you where it goes wrong. Somebody, somebody, said it into your marriage, into your ear or their ear, somebody's ear, the worst words a human being can ever hear. You deserve better. Once you embrace that, it's done. Once you embrace that, not only will that one not suit you, nobody will ever suit you because it's now been planted in your brain that you deserve something. Even if you really do deserve better. The last thing in the world you need to embrace is deserving better. Because the only way to get better is what? Get a new person. It's the only way it works out. And I'll tell you this, it's not just for marriage. I just see it most egregiously in marriage. It is in every part of our lives. When we start to embrace the idea that we deserve a certain something, we are always going to be discontented. We are never going to be willing to put ourselves aside. It's always going to be, not a little bit, but a lot about us. That's the nature of it. That's one of those things we're warring against. Why? Because for you to have really reliable, self-sacrificing 
self-sacrificing, real, true, deep, lifetime faith, you've got to not believe you deserve anything. Those, those are the words that, that the Christ uses. Look in verse 44. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Hey, I've told you before, that word is one of the most significant words in the New Testament. That word for slave is the word doulos. It is the word uh, bondservant. Paul calls himself a bondservant of Christ Jesus. It is to be a doulos, to be someone who's not just a slave, Brother Mike, but chose to be a slave. Said, sign me up, I want to be a slave. Not forced servitude, but willful service. But not willful service to you get ready to not serve anymore. But slaves don't get to choose when they stop being slaves, right? When does a slave stop being a slave of his master? A debt. Unless he is freed by the master, the slave serves until death. So for us to really be what God is calling us to be, we have to embrace that idea that we're not just bonded servants of Christ, not just doulos of Christ, Roger, but we are doulos of each other. I've really got to walk around with the idea that, that, that Mama Jen is more important than I am. Not just because she is, but because that's the only way my reliable faith is going to work. If I think I'm more important than people, my faith is dead. If I think I'm more important than others in the church, my faith is worthless. It has been corrupted by me. Why? How do we know this? For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. If my life is to be a Christian faith in the model of Jesus, then my life has to be as self-sacrificing as Jesus's is. Now, I know, Catherine, I, I stink at everything. I'm going to stink at being self-sacrificing. But once again, what we talked about before, what's important, where you are or trajectory. Trajectory is important. Trajectory is the most important thing. We're never going to get where God wants us to be, but we're always clawing up that hill to try to get there. God, bless me to put myself aside more. I'll tell you, I'll just be honest with you. Until I really became a church leader, I didn't realize how stuck on myself I was. How hard-headed I was about my own way. How those things will be in your life and you won't even acknowledge them. We've got a lot of killing to do, and I mean us. I mean, we've got a lot of destroying of our way, forsaking it. If there's anything, look, and this is for all of us. This is not just for me. You know, um, I think this is why I've spent so much time talking about that idea of, of, uh, of the fact that we were both sinners and righteous, immuted righteousness in Jesus, but still yet sinners at the same time. Katie, we're still wicked sinners. But God sees in us the righteousness because we've got to continue to embrace that idea. I know people get so tired of it. Man, you like you want us to feel bad about ourselves. Here's the reality is the Bible doesn't want us to feel bad about ourselves. The Bible desires for us to embrace an accurate idea of ourselves. The Bible wants me to embrace the idea that I'm a sinner. The Bible never... Well, you know, you just don't need to feel bad. No. The Bible kind of wants us to feel bad about a whole lot of things. And the reason is this. If I do not embrace the fact that I'm absolutely a wicked sinner, how in the world am I ever going to be self-sacrificing? How am I going to be a slave to everybody if I think I'm not a sinner? If I think I'm not... And look, and I'll be honest with you, don't look at me now. 
There's a whole lot of Christians. There's a whole lot of Baptists walking around this world who know they are theoretically Christians. I should be theoretically sinners, but they do not embrace the fact that they do wrong things. That is a lie because they justify every single thing they do. Every dirty bit of gossip and every nasty little bit of this and every disgusting little thing, they justify it all. That's a lie. I've been in church too long. Don't look at me like that. You know it's true. You know it's true. What's holding the church back is they've had entirely too high high an opinion of themselves. God destroys that. There's only one of us, the firstborn of many brothers, who is allowed to have a high opinion of himself. And that's Jesus. And he came to be a ransom for many and gave everything. Completely robbed himself of who he is. Completely did it. So so that's why God wants us to embrace this knowledge of our own sin because then we'll be self-sacrificing. If I think too highly of myself, I'm never going to sacrifice. If I think lowly of myself, I'm going to give. You go first, brother. You have your way, brother. You have your way, sister. Why? Because I don't matter. No, I said, I'm not saying I do it. I'm pointing you to the right answer. All right, that's my job. Okay. Um, now, without a knowledge of sin, humili- humility will not abound. And look, I've been saying this for years. Ever since I started serving in church, I came to realize that the church, not just me, I know I'm like this, but that the church had an arrogance issue. We weren't willing to put others before us. Because we thought entirely too well of ourselves. Until the knowledge of sin grows in us, we're never going to be humble. If we're not humble, if you're looking at yourself right now in the clear in the clarity of the scriptures, and you don't think you're humble, you're not humble because there is a feigning knowledge of sin. You really don't have the knowledge of sin that you should have. We serve, we are slaves of all because we embraced our natural sinfulness and depravity. The reason why, um, Miss Jane, I am the way I am, the reason why I can think about myself, if, if I am, in the right light, in which I can be humble and self-sacrificing and a slave to everybody, is because I look at myself in the mirror and I say, my goodness gracious life, I am so dirty and disgusting in the sight of God. I can get up in the morning, Miss Pansy, and look and say, I know exactly who I am, and it is somebody that it takes the, the grace of God Every single day. Now I'm just going to say this. I have served on a ton of committees in, in, in two plus decades of church leadership with people who did not embrace that about themselves. Who really, to be honest with you, thought that they didn't stink, if you know what I mean. They were pretty sure that they were a gift to the church. They were absolutely certain of that. And I'll tell you this much. I never served on a committee like that that ever got anything done. I never served on a committee like that that God ever blessed the efforts of. I served on a bunch of those committees and they almost always did the devil's work. Just one of us. Look, if you're in a church, and churches, Brother Joe, are run by committees, and you've got one arrogant person in there, you've got a cancerous committee. Just one. Now what happens if you got five people in the committee and three of them are arrogant? What are you going to do? Three of them don't believe in their own sinfulness. Three of them really believe they're okay the way they are. Now besides the fact that they're lost, 
they'll hold back the rest of the church. So, I know that's, that's a lot of introduction, but that's okay. So we need to be here. Just a few more minutes, and I'm going to spin that on, on just a, a couple more points. Look, um, so now that we're, we're talking about that idea of sinfulness, we're embracing it. Before we were all wickedness. Now that's before Christ. Single in purpose and undivided in mind. That's how Jesus found us, right? The Bible, going all the way back to the book of Genesis, the Bible is abundantly clear. On the inside, we are wickedness and violence, right? Now, I, I know that's one of those points the Bible makes, and when you've never punched anybody in the nose in your life. Anybody here never punched anybody? All right, we've got some punchers in here. Good job. Everybody's punched the nose in their life. So now you understand the violence part, right? Everybody gets the violence part. Olivia's going to get it one of these days. Baby Jack already goes for noses. Already. It's just wired into us, isn't it? Hardwired into our lives. So, so we understand the depths of this. That's who God finds. God finds someone who's always going to do the wrong thing, escalating levels of wrongness, right? All the time. That's who we are. So, that's who He finds. Now, we are both the Lord's and struggling with the sinful desires of the flesh. Hence the idea of being both righteous and sinful at the same time. It's not that we're given over to sin. It's not that we're just wild men who just do crazy things. I hate to mention this because it's really bad, but me and Caleb were not... We were both being kind of brokenhearted about it and also kind of laughing about it at the same time. Anybody on YouTube see the Disneyland fight? In Toontown. Right there in Toontown. A family. All the people were related. And they're killing each other, aren't they? It was a mess. It's terrible. It's just terrible. It's just the worst thing ever. And what's so funny is y'all raise your hands and I'm a Jen and Jen's all Back there. Yes. So I got a church I want to lead right there. Yes. Um, here's the thing. That's, the, that's given over to sin, isn't it? It's not that I can't get mad enough right now to want to punch somebody's nose, brother buddy. It happens all the time. It's just I usually don't give over to it where I'm a wild man. We don't mean that. I am not both righteous and totally ruled and given over by sin. You were at one time in your life ruled by and given over to sin. There's no doubt about that. That's who you were. That was your definition. You now have both the imputed righteousness of Jesus and the equipping of the Holy Spirit which allows you to combat sin. So if I'm giving in to sin, and I'm a believer, I'm doing wrong. Make no, make no qualms about that. God expects me to do war with sin in my life every single day. And I'll tell you something else. Um, if you're in this room and you feel squeaky clean, let me tell you something else you need to do. Look harder. I've had those conversations with people all the time. Not bad conversations, really good conversations, to be honest with you. But they say, look, I, think, I feel like I'm blind to my sin. I've had lots of people say, look, Brother Tony, I feel like I'm blind to my sin. Don't be blind to your sin. Keep looking. It's there. Trust me, it's there. As I've said to you many times, I imagine that by the time I've done my devotion in the morning, I have already broken the heart of God. My natural instincts... Miss Andrew, that I war against are sinful. I just have the ability, the power to war against them now. My natural instinct is to break God's heart every single time. You give me the chance, I'll do it. I guarantee I'm that good at it, and you are too. So if we're not warring against it, if we're not seeing it, then we're not even looking for it. 
And I think we can fall into bad habit of turning blind eyes toward our own behavior. Don't do that. Keep looking for it. God's desire for you is holiness. And it's very, very hard. It literally is making the silk purse out of the sow's ear. Probably the best cliche for it. We are so wicked and so bad. And God wants so much better for us. Now I say that because I'm a parent as much as I'm a believer in the Scriptures. Um, your kids have pulled some, hum, some humdingers, haven't they? But you've never stopped wanting better for them, have you? Never will. Never will. In the midst of trouble, you want better. Because your job is to want better for them. That's what it means to be a parent. No parent wants their kids to be worse. They want them to be better. We want them to handle money better than we did. We want them to raise their families better. We want them to be more faithful in church. We want all those things for them. The, the slack we'll give ourselves, we do not extend to them, do we? We want more. That's the goal of being a parent. Our Lord has never stopped having ambitions for us. He wants more for us. He wants holiness even though He knows that your natural inclinations are against holiness. He wants to live through you in such a way that you shine. That you are illuminated by His glory. That you show everyone the joys of Christ in this new life. He wants to take the drug dealer, heal them in heart and soul, and have them preach the gospel. The greatest example in the church. The greatest example in the Bible. It's Paul. Breathing threats and murdering the church one day and the next day preaching the gospel, right? Three days later, preaching the gospel. Why? He took the nastiest guy he could find. The one who never forgives himself. Remember Paul said, I'm the least of the apostles. I shouldn't even be allowed to call myself one. Because I persecuted the church. God takes the very worst, transforms their heart, and uses them to preach His gospel. He does it all the time. That is our Lord's way. Now, I'm just a little farther and then I'll be done. Um, however, we may be vile at times in our own reckoning because we hate the flesh which so often seems to prevail. Um, I think there's the, the problem I, I have here, Catherine, is this, is, is that either I'm blind to my sin sometimes because I'm choosing not to look, or I'm staring at it so hard, I literally just want to throw myself into hell. Do you know what I mean by that? Where I'm, I've, I've embraced the notion that I am so wicked, God, please deal with me. God, kill me. And I'm not, I'm not using these words in any way for anybody to think, you know, to, to feel sorry for me, or at the same time for me to, uh, to kind of make light of something important. No, I think we, a lot of us tend to vacillate. I don't look because I'm scared of what I'm going to find. And then I, I stare. Alright? And all I see are flaws. And I get so crippled and so paralyzed by how, by the depths of my wickedness. And so for that reason, I, uh, I, I, I lose my boldness. I lose my boldness. So I think we can be unreasonable in our own personal criticism. We need to embrace the reality of sin, kids, in our lives. We need to be able to say and understand what it really means to be a sinner. At the same time, the last thing God wants me to do is spend the last 60 years of my life crying over the things I've already done. Repent. As a, as a, as a pastor friend told me, 
fall to my face, repent, then spend the rest of my life thanking God that He forgave me. The difference is in the source of our confidence. So here's the difference. Before, I considered myself righteous because I said what all rednecks say. You know what we rednecks say? I'm no, I'm no worse than he is. I know what this guy does. I would argue down. Because I, I did. Because in a small town, you know everybody who's stepping out on his wife and everybody who's a closet drunk and everybody's cheating and everybody's doing everything in the world. You know it all when you're a town of 2,500 people. When you're a town of 300 people, you literally know everything, don't you? You can't keep out of it. I would justify myself, Brother Kyle, by saying, well, I knew what those guys at church were doing. I knew I was no worse than they were. Here's the problem. I was absolutely no worse than they were. They were going to hell. And I was right there in the car with them. Right there. That's not confidence. That's false bravado. That's a road to death is what that is. That's all that is. Our confidence now comes through the fact that we know our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. We know that our righteousness is not our own through the law because the law does nothing but condemn me. My righteousness is now coming from Jesus. And it is flawless, it is perfect, it is immortal righteousness. I know that to be true. So now I can be confident, not because I know I'm good, Brother Mike, because I've embraced the fact that I'm absolutely terrible, but that the standard doesn't matter because Jesus saved me. Because see, I think there's a lot of people walking around the church out there that are that have a lot of confidence when they think they're doing right and have no confidence when they think they're doing wrong. Our confidence doesn't come from what we're doing. Because we can't earn what we've been given. At all. So, here, here's the last stop and then I'm done. Um, I think the best and most God-honoring definition of the state of the Christian in all the Scriptures is in Psalm 121, Verses 1 through 3. This is where we'll close. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So, so today, if you are a sinner, your help comes from whom? The Lord. The Creator God has died for our sins. He gave Himself, robbed Himself of the glory of kingship so that He could come and live perfectly, die tragically, and rise triumphantly. Ascend after showing himself to hundreds of people. So there's no doubt. And one of these days he will come again. Our position with God depends on his righteousness and not ours. My help comes from the Lord. He will not let, listen, listen to this. This is the final one. He will not let your foot be moved. I think that's the greatest part. That, once again, my confidence doesn't come from the fact that I'm good. In fact, I'm terrible. Fully established. Terrible. So why is my foot not slipping? Because Jesus holds it. The funny thing today, before we close, this is what I say, was that um, I felt very inadequate today. Dad's in the hospital the last couple of days, and I had to go help with him, and he's getting to the point where he just can't do very much. He can't help you very much, you know, and I had to not only like get him out of the bed and get him in the wheelchair, get him home, all that kind of stuff, but I had to help him do other stuff that if you've been this place in your life, you know what I'm talking about. I don't have to go any farther than that. And it was such a humbling thing because my dad's such a great big giant guy, right? You've seen my dad when he was healthy. Some of you have. I mean, great big huge man. And I would put my arms under his shoulders, I'm under his armpits, and lift him up and lay his hand on my shoulder and I'd pick him up. 
but he was still so heavy that when he would start to wobble, my, my heels would come up off the ground. I'm just not heavy enough to handle him by myself. He's just one man, and I'm incapable of dealing with his burden. If I did it every day, I'd be in traction, to be honest with you. If I had to haul him around all the time, I don't know what I'd do. And I'm not old yet. I can't imagine what it means to hold every single foot of every believer and never allow them to slip. It doesn't mean you won't sin. It means, Brother Kyle, you won't crash. There's the difference. Brother Ron, I'll sin against my God, but He has such a hold on my feet my heart may not be what it's supposed to be, but I'm never going anywhere. Unlike me holding my dad, I'm incompetent dealing with one man's ills. The Lord of the universe who died for us holds each and every one of us steady. That's where our confidence comes from. Not in what we are able to do, not in what we will do. Our confidence comes from what He has done. Let's pray. Father God, I adore you and I thank you. I ask you, please, God, to bless us now, Father God. Bless this church, Father God. I thank you, Lord, for those who will come out in the summer, Father God, and worship with us. And I pray, Father God, that, that, you are, that you, God, are doing great and mighty things in us. Bless it, Father God. This is another brick, Father God. Humble as it may be, Father God. Do mighty things through even the weak words that I have, Father. I love you, God. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.